When we asked developers who do they think should own security for their application, 81% of them said developers should own that. The DevOps thing is kind of empowering developers to own their infrastructure. So as they take ownership around security, that's kind of the good security posture that you want developers to have when they build applications. When we asked maintainers, you know, how did they find out about vulnerabilities? Half of them find out about it when other people are opening public issues on the project. There is a good intention, but not enough action on it to mitigate the security problems. Hi, I'm Guy Pajarni, CEO and co-founder of Sneak. And you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. It is a part of the Secure Developer community. Check out thesecuredeveloper.com for great talks and content about developer security and to ask questions and share your knowledge. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Secure Developer. Today, we have Liran Tal joining us here. Welcome, Liran. Hey, Jai. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, thanks for coming on the show. So we have a lot of topics, you know, we have a, a data-packed uh, element here. Uh, Liran, you, you work at Sneak here, right? And you ran uh, a couple of security reports we're going to talk about. Indeed. These are the state of open source security, talking about open source security as a whole, and then one on Docker security, right? Mm-hmm. So before we dig into sort of the details, I guess, on those, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, how did you get into this wonderful world of security? I guess I've been doing that uh, since an early age, so security has been a large part of uh, my life uh, since then. From the early days of uh, 2600 and uh, you know uh, on, on RC channels and stuff like that, I've been kind of uh, running my own BBS and you know just getting uh, you know acquainted with the digital world uh, at, at that point in time. So been doing that for a while, and then I think in the last uh, maybe couple of years, I've uh, been diving more into node-specific security. I managed to uh, uh, write a book about it, kind of uh, put a lot of best practices and guidelines mm-hmm. uh, for developers how to secure their uh, node applications. And you know, a lot of DOT and OWASP uh, involvement and stuff like that uh, got me into uh, working as a full-time uh, uh, helping secure the system at Snake. Cool. Yep. Well, that's uh, you know basically go from nerding out on the uh, <laughs> on the infrastructure to sort of uh, getting to securing the apps on it. Cool. Yep. Let's dig into the report. So you know, first of all, you know, we're talking about these two sort of state of X security type of reports. What's the motivation for doing these types of reports in the first place? You know, why why bother? Right, so a lot about it is just exposing this information out, so sharing a lot of uh, those insights and you know, just exploring the state of the ecosystem around security. And a lot about the report, actually, the stuff that I really like about it is it really covers kind of a 360 kind of uh, the ecosystem. So it's not just focusing on application libraries or operating system, it's combining all of those different data points by surveying people and asking them questions, you know, maintainers and developers about their practices in security. So a lot about it is kind of measuring the state of you know the security in open source ecosystems and communities, and of course the software that we have. And you know everyone are uh, are building software based on open source kind of, so you can't run away from it. And uh, it's it's good once we have the visibility into what's going on there. Yeah, I guess there's kind of a lot to unpack there. So you know, one one aspect is you know you kind of you can't optimize what you can't measure. I guess right. True. So so if we put some measurement on it, then we're able to maybe make it better. Have you indeed seen like much conversations that flowed from those conversations, like from the stats that were published? Right. So uh, I think the Docker, the Docker stats really surprised a lot of people. The idea, you know, the notion that people are surprised by the amount of vulnerabilities they are shipping with their uh, Docker containers to production, 
is something that uh, I think really hit uh, virality points around uh, you know social media because people were really surprised about the amount of vulnerabilities present in their Docker images, what they build their uh, containers on, and that really made a good hit. Cool. Yeah, and I guess the you know this is kind of a bit of a recurring theme on this show, which is the the importance of visibility and security. Right, security is naturally invisible, so doing things that just Raises it a little bit to your awareness, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the fact that there is a security concern, right? Or, or let alone a security breach, you know, right. is uh, is is kind of worthy of highlighting. So, you know, let's let's kind of uh, switch into the actual report. So, first of all, you know, how did we kind of get to this point, right? Like, you know, what data got collected? You know, how were the reports kind of built up and, mm-hmm. uh, and structured? Yeah. So we looked at different data sets. One of them is. The data elements of it are basically looking at um, sneak-related data from customers and you know all the users that we have, scanning how, um, looking at how people or developers actually use software in their projects, uh, how many of that is vulnerable, what is their uh, kind of versioning uh, uh, schemes around it. We also uh, looked at you know, just open-source repositories, you know things like you know the ecosystems, the registries, GitHub-related uh, data itself. And lastly, you know, had a human element into it, which you know, asking you know several hundred people in a survey, what is their uh, security posture around you know open source security specifically? So, kind of trying to measure a lot of the human element and blend that with the data that that we collected. Do you find the like was the data fairly consistent? You know, were there sort of discrepancies between the data that we saw and the the answers people uh, people said? <laughs> Not really a lot of those. Uh, I mean, the, the general trend being, you know, that there's a uprising trend in terms of you know uh, more vulnerabilities that we find in open source libraries, in terms of you know application libraries, operating system libraries. The trend is just up, uh, meaning we are finding more and more uh, each over year uh, vulnerabilities in the ecosystem. There's an interesting trend around uh, uh, the survey itself, whereas developers or uh, maintainers state, you know, that they want to uh, own security, and you know, on average, maintainers have uh, 6.6 out of 10 uh, skill level of security, and uh, that sounds like a medium, but that's that's fairly high to you know to uh, to rate yourself uh, on an average. And then at the same time, when we asked maintainers on, you know, how did they find out about vulnerabilities? Uh, you know, half of them kind of find out about it when other people are, are uh, opening uh, public issues mm. on the project. So um, there, there's kind of you know uh, the effect of maybe people rate themselves as having a high security knowledge, but at the same time they don't really find out about the vulnerabilities themselves, right? Yeah, the actions don't necessarily speak for that. Well, I guess we kind of we start with good intent and then uh, <laughs> and then we proceed from there. True. Okay, so interesting, you know, and, and sort of putting aside the fact that we as humans are pretty lousy at uh, at, uh, <laughs> at sort of assessing our skill levels, you know, we have these data sources. So you run the survey, you ran the analysis on on a bunch of data, you know, you collected some data from sneak usage and collected all of those into these two reports. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's like I know the reports are fairly kind of intermixed a little bit in the data, maybe the insights that they have, but let's still try to kind of break them apart. Let's you know start with this state of open source security. Report, you know, what are the sort of key insights? You know, it's we're not going to go through the full data set from there, but uh, give us a, a highlight or three. Sure. So I think, as you said, open source software maintainers, you know, they, they have good intent, but they're not well equipped to to handle it. So they need a little help with tooling, you know, and stuff like that to help them raise this stuff. So, so some highlights, for example, only thirty uh, percent of maintainers we asked say they have a high level of security knowledge. 
And as we said before, only half of them uh, just find out about issues when users are opening security issues for their repositories. So you know, there's kind of a, a discrepancy there between how users kind of rate themselves to what really happens. If you think about it, when we asked you know maintainers how do they audit you know their code bases you know to to leverage information about vulnerabilities to expose it, so you know one in four maintainers don't even audit their code bases, and you know that's truly a high number. So just you know go through your uh, package JSON or whatever project you know count you know one out of four dependencies yeah. you know that's probably had didn't go through a security uh, review, through a security audit, you know code review best practices and stuff like that. So uh, that's a kind of virtually not even there. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a terrifying uh, um, stats yeah. uh, to have. I think especially in terms of the tooling that we have in the ecosystem, you know, specifically for Snake, you know, that makes it really easy to find those vulnerabilities. We'd want to see, you know, more people, you know, just leverage the kind of developer-friendly tooling that we have to, yeah. to raise those. Yeah, it's a scary stat, and yet somehow not entirely unexpected, right? You mm-hmm. know, it's a, it's great to see maintainers. Care about it, but you know we have such high expectations from open source maintainers. When you build almost single-handedly or like a very small group, you build a piece of software that gets downloaded millions and millions of times a month. Then yep. uh, the bar is kind of high, you know. Like your your impact, you know, you're doing a lot of good, but that also means that the responsibility on your shoulders is pretty heavy. So it's good to sort of see the intent there, but it's indeed a little uh, unsettling. Sort of hear about security practices not necessarily being there. Yeah, it's it's good you mentioned like we're going back to the intent part because I think the positive or you know the optimistic stats to take out of it is you know when we asked developers who do they think should own security uh, you know for their application, eighty one percent of them said you know developers should own that, and I think that's uh, that's a really good trend. Um, that's really high number in terms of you know the statistics and you know showing that. I feel that you know full stack uh, development kind of at least that term that terminology kind of brought with itself a lot of responsibility into into developers meaning you know they don't just focus on front end now you know we have the full stack so it's front end and then back end the devops thing is kind of empowering developers to own their infrastructure so uh, by product a lot of those uh, abstractions uh, and software like you know owning um, like a docker file but not the actual infrastructure Allows developers to take more ownership. So as they take more ownership around security, you know that that's great. That's kind of the good security posture that you want developers to have when they build applications. You know, just have that mindset. Yeah, indeed. Well, I guess you know you have to start there, right? Otherwise, nothing will happen. So that's kind of inside one. You know, on the maintainer side, sounds like you know maintainers are well intentioned. They do accept that them as, as maintainers and as developers should own this responsibility. They potentially slightly overrate their sort of security skills, but uh, mm-hmm. but still, like a bunch of them, you know, only about three and ten, if I understood correctly, mm-hmm. rated as high. And hopefully, over time, you know, we sort of uh, we see improvement there. We did have uh, Martin Mikos from HackerOne on the show talking about the Internet bug bounty, which mm-hmm. I guess you know maybe they can use those. Yep. And I believe in last year's report, there were a bunch of these examples and recommendations, probably repeated this year, around uh, having a disclosure policy right. and. Uh, and the likes. So sure. I guess to check out the uh, the report for uh, for concrete advice as a maintainer on on what you can do. Maintainers and developers. Yeah, maintainers and developers as a whole. So indeed, let's kind of uh, shift a little bit. So this is like you know a highlight of insight on the maintainer side. What about the consumer side? You know what uh, what have we learned? What did you find out on the consumer side? I think as developers, you know, uh, we we try to gain insights into you know once developers you know develop their apps, uh, they have a lot of. CI infrastructure to you know run tests, run accessibility, stuff like that. 
Uh, an important part of that is, you know, being able to address security as well and CI, you know, shifting security to the left, uh, kind of trying to uh, raise uh, vulnerabilities much uh, sooner than uh, finding out about them as a in production or, uh, uh, God forbid, as a data breach. So one of the questions were, uh, uh, you know, whether security testing is being used in CI. 37% of developers, you know, are not even at all using um, any kind of security testing during their CI. We also asked about Docker images scanning, for example, out of which, you know, only 14% of developers said they actually do Docker scanning. 14%? 14%, yes. Yeah. So it's a fairly low amount, yeah. um, I think, uh, it correlates a little bit with the ownership that developers have around DevOps. So, as in, you know, they haven't truly, you know, embraced the idea of, you know, owning uh, the DevOps pipeline, you know, Dockerfile, managing that. And even if they have good intentions of, you know, owning that, there isn't yet enough credibility around um, what that entails in terms of, you know, security risks and stuff like that. Another interesting to, uh, information is as we have asked them about, you know, how do they find out about vulnerabilities in general in their CI? Not just about scanning is you know we learned that 36% of users use a dependency management tool you know to handle scanning, which is you know a fairly good amount of that. Yet you know 27% of them have no automatic or you know a proactive way of raising uh, the information around vulnerabilities. So basically, there's still a large amount of users that even though tooling exists to help them find out about vulnerabilities and CI, they're not really using any. Any kind of that um, in their CIs. Yeah, interesting. So basically, like only about one in four, I guess, if a new stress vulnerability is sort of pick on the uh, the infamous uh, stress <laughs> vulnerability, right? A new one of those, or I guess it was actually recently a jQuery one that came out. Only about one in four developers would automatically be notified about right. one of those, and I guess you know a bunch of others would either not know about it or would have to do some proactive exploration to uh, to find that out. True. What about um, uh, the data bit? You know, I know one of the aspects in the reports talked about when you consume open source, most of the vulnerabilities came not through the libraries you consumed, but rather indirectly. Do you want to tell yep. us a bit more about that? Yeah, that's indeed a really interesting insights that we were able to figure out, and that is, as you develop, there are dependencies, you know, libraries that you directly consume, directly use in your app. But you know, to the nature of open source, those libraries maybe are built, you know, on other libraries that other people uh, have written. And out of that, we were able to conclude, you know, out of, of data that Nick has on on users, you know, scanning their projects, we're seeing an interesting thread where uh, most of the vulnerabilities are not coming from the libraries that you're explicitly using, but you know, those those indirect uh, dependencies that they're bringing with them. So for NPM, for example, I think that percentage is around 75-78%. Uh, mm. So meaning, um, you know, as Sneak detects vulnerabilities uh, for NPM projects, 78% uh, of the times it's going to find it, you know, in um, like nested dependencies, right, and indirect dependencies that you didn't uh, explicitly bring into your project, but they got brought in by other dependencies, you know, through the dependency chain. Yeah. That's kind of uh, you know, a worry around uh, managing dependencies in general. Yeah, you have to dig deep, you know. That True. that is indeed I guess we talked about the high bar for maintainers, but you know, we kind of expect us developers to sort of do <laughs> uh do a fair bit as well. So not only do you need to care about the, you know, dozen or so libraries that you put in your package.json file or your pomxml, mm -hmm. you know, actually those vulnerabilities in those would only account for again every fourth vulnerability right. that might be disclosed. You really three out of those four would be in libraries that you never really ever ask for, you know, sure. it's, it's libraries that those are just coming in. Yeah, that those libraries in turn uh, pulled in. You know, I'm a little bit biased here, but you know, I'd sort of say you know a little bit of the realm of the tools. 
Okay, so on the consumption side, you know, we have the sort of insight from the data side around vulnerabilities coming more from indirect. You know, we have uh, it seems like a not a terrible but highly exciting amount of uh, CI security testing, a little bit more daunting in, in the Docker security side. Mm-hmm. Maybe indeed let's kind of use this as a bit of an opportunity to shift to the Docker security report. Before we move off, if somebody wants to read the full set of data for the state of open source security, where should they go? So uh, it's on uh, sneak.io slash uh, state of OS security. Okay, cool. So let's switch to this uh, Docker specific insight. So you know, you took this data, you collected, or you took the survey data, you took some additional analysis of data, and you released this state of Docker security mm-hmm. uh, report, or really container security, I imagine. Tell us uh, what were the key learnings from there. You already alluded to a couple from the broader report, but uh, what else have you learned? True, vulnerabilities wise, you know, we we, we just scanned through uh, uh, you know ten of the top most popular images on Docker Hub. Which is a fairly uh, you know popular kind of central place to to find your yeah, uh, your indeed. Docker images, yeah. and so uh, we went through that just uh, going by the amount of you know popularity of images, took the top ten, scanned all of them you know their default tags for that, uh, which is what people intend to use, and you know we, we found out that you know for each of them you know every one of those top ten they include at least uh, thirty vulnerabilities you know inside them when you use that. Just to sort of you know <laughs> echo that back, you know, so every single one of the top ten had at least thirty vulnerabilities True. on it. Yeah, how how, how come? Like why? <laughs> <laughs> well, like these are the top ten most popular images on Docker Hub. Yes. Why would they not have zero vulnerabilities <laughs> on them? It's a really good question. So choosing a base image is a crucial part of you know building uh, your Docker containers uh, on. So. As we're learning, simply Docker images built, you know, themselves they have a lot of uh, vulnerabilities inside them, right? So these could be, you know, general purpose images. For example, the Node uh, image has a little bit more than 30 vulnerabilities, something like 580. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> Just a bit more. Yeah. Um, it hurts me as I'm a, I'm a Node guy, but yeah. uh, <laughs> well, if I'm not mistaken, you're also on the Node security working group. I mean, True. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So uh, we're trying to get that, of course, solved. But um, the raw stats are that you know, as you scan the default uh, node tag, you know, it's bringing 580 or something like that. uh, You know, amount of vulnerabilities inside them, and you know, that's true. The idea that uh, the base image, you know, the the kind of the the default layer that the image is built upon, uh, it bringing with it a lot of libraries and tools, you know, compilation headers, um, tools that you may not need. And you know that that's kind of leaking back or you know dropping into your your base image, you know, for for whatever app you're building, because you know as kind of um, kind of a default thing for you to do is you know build your app and you know start a Docker file with you know from you know node uh, colon ten or something like that. And this is where I think visibility is coming into play. You're not really understanding, or you know, people may not be truly aware of what they're bringing in when they're doing like something like a from node ten. And they're bringing in a default image that has you know over 500 vulnerabilities. So it's interesting. You're you're kind of describing a bit of a Russian doll of these base images uh, elements. So on one hand, the fact that these top images have vulnerabilities is something you, as a consumer of those base images, should know. Like you're right. probably pulling down a whole bunch of vulnerabilities. You should know what's there and and mm-hmm. address it. But you're also saying that those base images themselves, one of their key reasons for being vulnerable is because they in turn use. Other base images that uh, that also have vulnerabilities. Yeah, true. Is that how we got to that sort of uh, five eighty number in uh, in Node world? Indeed, 
as a technical part of that, the node one is built on a, on a popular image that's called uh, Build Pack Dapps. That's basically an image that is intended to build other base images upon. So it's kind of something that gives you a collection of cross-compilation headers. Uh, you can go and do uh, npm install or pip install or gem bundle, whatever. You can do all of that up by default. And the idea is to kind of give you an out-of-the-box good experience when you build a base image. Uh, so all of these tools kind of work seamlessly. You don't need to install anything else. And as it turns out, node, the default node image at least, is based on this distro, which is Debian-based and brings with it all of this, you know, all of this goodness of tools, but at the same time, a lot of vulnerabilities that you know are pulled into them as well. So there are better choices, um, you know, in building base images that you know we could make. What what are those, for instance? So kind of two questions come to mind, right? Mm -hmm. One is, what do I do, right? You know, I still want to use Docker. I still want to use Node. Felt like Node, you know, using the Node-based image sort of, you know, appears to be a fairly uh, a reasonable decision. Mm -hmm. How do I kind of help myself out here a little bit? And then maybe like a related question is, you know, are there examples of base images that do it well, right? That that maybe dare I say even get it down to zero? <laughs> right. So some considerations that you could do is, you know, try to see which tag brings with it uh, lesser vulnerabilities. Meaning, you know, there's no ten, but then. There's a collection of tags that exist in this Docker repository, so mm -hmm. to say, that you can pick and choose, kind of like cherry picking your own uh, specific flavor of the OS that Node is running on. So, for example, if you were to choose Node 10 uh, Jesse, you know you would get this amount of vulnerabilities. But if you would choose, you know, uh, Node 10 Seed or uh, maybe even Alpine, you would get lesser vulnerabilities mm -hmm. simply because those base images are built differently in terms of the dependencies and you know the libraries that exist in them. Okay, cool. So for step one is just choose the variant of your base image that that choose suits wisely. you best. Yeah, choose wisely indeed. How do I find out how many vulnerabilities you know each of those images? So uh, you have it in the report, and you can use the tool to scan Docker images. So Sneak is a way to uh, scan your Docker images. Allows you to get this visibility into the amount of uh, vulnerabilities you have uh, across the image, even give you an idea of you know which other very similar base images that you can choose based on what you have, but like just different tags that would allow you to just choose and you know use a different one that has lower vulnerabilities count. So you know it could be a smaller change for you to make or you know major one depending on your preference of both mediating the risk as well as you know making sure that your application actually doesn't break and runs well. Cool, and I think Docker Hub kind of gives you some stats about vulnerabilities as well, right? So the that's uh, when you sort of scan. So it's Nick would sort of show you the specific. Hey, you're using whatever node. You should you can switch to Node Alpine. That would reduce your vulnerabilities to so and so. But then also Docker Hub itself would at least show you if you browse around. It's kind of True. a bit more manual, but if you browse around, you can also sort of see some of this data on on the hub itself. Yeah, they do expose some of that as well. Cool. I'm happy you're bringing this up because there is, however. Uh, an interesting aspect of that, and that is, uh, you know, containers, you know, long-living containers and stuff like that. So, so let's talk about it a bit because it kind of relates to the visibility of data. So, if you go, you know, and you know, scan your your Docker image, you know, see that it has maybe zero vulnerabilities, maybe or a low amount of them, and you're good with that, you're shipping that out. That's just one aspect of mitigating the risk. The thing is. You know, if you're just using that Docker image in production, you deploy it. You know, it's running there for a week or two, and during that time, a new vulnerability surfaces. You know, that affects uh, tools or libraries in that base image. You know, you may not have the visibility into that. So, kind of some key takeaways around Docker images is 
if you can rebuild that image, you know, often, meaning you know, monitor it, see that there aren't any mm-hmm. uh, new vulnerabilities surfacing on that specific image tag that you're using. As you do that continuously, you know, you are going to release new containers, you know, into your production environment that have less and less vulnerabilities. You know, so we are not only releasing, you know, containers due to tests and fixes, you know, or uh, features that we develop. But also due to the idea of lowering the the attack surface due to vulnerabilities that we want to mitigate against. So, so one key takeaway is definitely you know scan your Docker images that you have in production, in development, throughout the lifecycle, and then be able to deploy a new version that you can rebuild the image upon. Okay, so this is uh, and kind of quoting some stats from the report. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. So like one is we talked about sort of choosing the stats from the report. Talk about the vulnerable images. So kind of select wisely. You know, using the tools at your disposal. Two is rebuilding often, which would get rid of, like, how often was it that if a vulnerability was found, it can be fixed by a rebuild? So, like, 20% of the vulnerable Docker images can be fixed by a rebuild. That's what we found. So, you could just mitigate that by rebuilding the image. It's amazing. It's probably a a topic for a whole conversation (laughs) on its own. It actually is a topic for many, many outside security about the non determinism of Docker builds. But sounds like a pretty high ROI that if you just rebuild often, you can fix twenty percent of the vulnerabilities that, that you encounter. Yep. Okay. Cool. So that's sort of a, a second takeaway, and I guess kind of a third was to scan in, in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So obviously, um, you know, try and scan in the first place. I think we're seeing kind of a positive trend from the survey around Docker images as well as we've seen around, you know. Developers embracing security. So, just as a stat out around it, 68% of developers, you know, believe that they should be responsible for container security. So that's you know, good positive trend uh, all around. Yet, 50% of those, you know, don't scan their uh, their OS layers for vulnerabilities. So, kind of the same conflict in terms of you know, yeah, there's a good intention, but not enough action on it to mitigate the security problems. Yeah, I mean, to me, all in all, you know, like that's the way change happens, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you start from appreciating that, that it needs to happen, and then uh, and then you go from there. So I guess you can uh, you can take the glass half full or glass half empty <laughs> a little bit here, but uh, cool. So to read up the the full Docker security report, check it out also on the the Snake website. Before I I let you go, I like to ask every guest that comes on the show if they have one. Sort of security pet peeve or security tip, you know, a bit of security advice for a team looking to level up their security. What would that be? I think mine would be uh, try to uh, leverage, you know, coach someone from the team to be a security champion and really empower them to take actions on that. So I found that, you know, previous experience leading teams, I found that very uh, helpful and impactful to have, you know, someone from the R&D team, you know, owning security, loving it. And you know, trying to help the rest of developers through uh, doing a lot of of appsec work through the teams. Cool. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think security champions is 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 a really really good good theme. You know, we've, it's been mentioned many times on the show. Well, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, and thanks everybody for tuning in and join us for the next one. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show or get involved in this community, find us at thesecuredeveloper.com or on Twitter at thesecuredev. Visit heavybit.com to find additional episodes, full transcriptions, and other great podcasts. See you next time.